I do love a good best of list. It's like the best thing about the end of the year. And the best of 2023 lists are coming out left, right and centre at the moment. It's great. It's so good. And today's list that we want to talk about is Massey University's New Zealand quota of the year. Always a goodie. Always a goodie. It's a great trip down memory lane, actually, reading some of these ones. So Massey released its top 10 finalists for people to vote on at the end of every year. Give it a Google to get your votes in. But let me hit you with some of my uh, personal faves. This is uh, Wayne Brown during the Auckland floods at the start of the year. The problem is the rain. We really need that to stop. Never a truer word spoken, Wayne. We really did need that to stop. If only the rain would listen. Oh, and this gold one. Nicola Willis during question time asking Grant Robinson something uh, very personal. Roll the tape. How big is his hole? And do... (laughs) That is not in the public interest, I can assure you. Had me howling with laughter for so days. Rude. Uh, my favourite, though, is one I I reckon I said almost every episode for a while there. Uh, everyone, say it with me now. Up the wires! There she goes. Good to get that in for the end of the year. And hey, if it wins, I'll let you say it again. Yes. Shelter, this is Newsable. I'm Jess. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. It's been out of the headlines since the conflict in Gaza began, so how has a lack of attention impacted Ukraine's war with Russia? We speak to the BBC's Ukraine correspondent. COP28 is nail-bitingly close to an agreement to phase out fossil fuels. Can it get over the line? What's it like to become TikTok famous overnight? We speak to an Auckland tradie who did just that. And in today's instalment of Finding Things That Everyone Thought Was Lost, a diamond ring with a million bucks. Actually, I think I think that diamond ring might be mine if someone found it. Oh, you, you simply must get in contact with, I think it's the Ritz in Paris. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. With all eyes on the situation in Gaza, the war in Ukraine has slipped out of the headlines and out of public consciousness. But for those living through it, the war is, of course, very real and still consuming their day-to-day lives. And as the conflict heads into another winter, reports are that the optimism which has really categorised the Ukraine war effort so far is beginning to fade. Joining us now with his insights is the BBC's Ukraine correspondent, James Waterhouse, who joins us now from London. Kia ora, James. Thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure. Hi, guys. James, as terrible as it kind of sounds to pit two conflicts together like this, how has the lack of international attention impacted the Ukraine war effort when you know the spotlight's so firmly on Gaza at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think the fear is a lack of attention, right? Where you have the US, and let's be clear, it is the US that leads the way with military help because it is a superpower and it's the only nation really that can manufacture the scale and speed of weapons that Ukraine needs. So, yes, there is a fear that the US's attentions are diluted, shall we say. We are seeing a proposed package which involves billions of dollars on not just Ukraine, but on for Israel, but also humanitarian aid for, for Palestinians too. So I think there is a fear, but I think the biggest enemy for Ukraine is this growing scepticism among a minority of Republican politicians, where you are seeing, and it's not just in the US as well, we're seeing it in some European countries too. We are seeing politicians making the argument that more domestic, more pressing issues need to be looked at because Ukraine hasn't been able to deliver its silver bullet of either a sizable counteroffensive with swathes of territory once again being liberated or even 
illustrating what a victory could look like, what Ukraine needs to do, and it knows this, I think, is it, is that it needs to be less rose-tinted politically. And I think we're seeing that change in tone where they're saying, look, things are really bad. Without your help, we will lose. And that's what they're saying for the first time. Of course, as we also mentioned, you know, the, the attention hasn't necessarily been on this conflict. So can you bring us up to speed where things are at with it? It's hard to keep track, right? You have a 700 mile, a thousand kilometer front line. You have soldiers in the in the northeast, in the Kharkiv region, who tell us that it's a meat grinder where Ukrainian officers are saying, look, we need to keep pushing, and they're being met with sizable Russian defences. Further south in the eastern city of Avdivka, which some people may have heard of, it's taking a lot of headlines at the moment. It is a city that is surrounded in three directions by Russian troops. It is somewhere that the Ukrainians have built heavy fortifications. The Russians once occupied it in 2014, the Ukrainians took it back, and they've never let go since. And it's one of those places where, while not strategically important, It's become important because of Russia deciding to throw wave after wave of attack and and thousands and thousands of soldiers have been killed there, mostly on the Russian side. And then if you sweep round to the central Zaporizhia region, which is in the middle of the front line, this was somewhere where it was seen as, right, the most likely place Ukraine would make a push. Why? Because it's the only place over land, really, in the main. But the problem is that only a few kilometres have been taken so far, swathes of minefields, Russian fortifications have meant that that Ukraine has had to revise tactics. So the status quo, I think, suits Russia, because if Vladimir Putin can say, look, I'm holding on to what I've taken, Mm. that's a net gain. Mm. And with that then, as Ukraine heads into another winter and Kiwis will hopefully understand just how intense these winters are, they're not like the ones here, They they are seriously cold, there's lots of snow, you can't do anything. What's the public mood like? Because I've read that it is getting a bit gloomy. It is gloomy. You know, I think where there's been a dip in support has been over the overall trust of President Zelensky. But it's not yet clear whether that's something you'd expect, right, in the middle of a presidential term Mm. or whether that's, you know, something more sinister. But there is an overwhelming support for this war to continue to be fought because it always boils down to this. For Ukrainians, it's it's a binary fight. You either are victorious and you completely repel Russia and you survive as an independent sovereign country or you lose. Of course, there are villages, notably in the east, that, you know, when you're shelled every day, when you see so many people killed around you, people do say, look, let's just end this. Mm. This is just how much more death can we experience? But in the main, it is a choice of survival, which Ukrainians are seeing as being the only option. And do we know how the the Russian public are feeling heading into this winter as well? (sighs) It's, it's always more difficult to measure. Outwardly, if you, if you go on the Russian polling, which I think sodium has to be applied when, when, when reading these things, there is a, uh, there's a broad appetite for this war to continue. The majority of Russians choose to believe what their leadership tells them. And for now, even with the extraordinary losses we're seeing, and if you look at the failed coup earlier this year, Vladimir Putin has, has consolidated his position on that front. James Waterhouse, the BBC's Ukraine correspondent, thank you so much for taking the time to bring us up to speed. Pleasure, guys. So yesterday we spoke about the redemption of an astronaut who was accused of eating one of the first tomatoes to be grown in space, only for it to turn up at the International Space Station. Today, the story of a million-dollar ring that was discovered in... uh, Actually, you know what? You could actually wait for some details on that. And while you're waiting... You can make Newsable exceptionally easy to find, unlike that ring, unlike that tomato, by giving us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform.
We've talked a lot about this year's UN Climate Conference, COP28, and yet you've guessed it, we're about to talk about it again because a draft agreement over the future use of fossil fuels, a really big deal, has fallen short in the eyes of many participants. This deal on fossil fuels has sort of been the centrepiece of this year's conference, suggesting a range of measures countries could take to slash greenhouse gas emissions. But critically... For some, including the EU, the draft agreement did not use the phrase phase out. And critically for the deal, all 198 countries taking part must agree on it. Here to talk more about this is Dahlia Gabari, a climate crisis research fellow at the University of Canterbury. Kia ora, Dahlia. Thank you so much for joining us. Kia ora. Thank you for having me. Can you explain a little bit about why the wording is so important to some nations? It's a critical time. The draft a few days ago, it still included the language of phasing out fossil fuels, but the latest draft removed that language. So this is critical. Uh, While the changes in language can seem small, slight differences in UN documents can significantly change what countries are obliged to do. So it is particularly important for countries such as small island states that are the forefront of the climate crisis. So the members of the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries, including Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, hold positions largely opposing strong language on phasing out fossil fuels. So they called for what they consider a more realistic energy transition in which fossil fuels would keep a role in securing energy supplies. So they are pushing more towards realistic approaches to tackle emission that would enable, at the same time, economic growth and help eradicate poverty and increase resilience at the same time. Dalila, how significant is this deal to the conference? What we are waiting to hear on is a major decision for the future of our planet. Um, It's around phasing out of fossil fuel, in particularly consistent with keeping the world's temperature as close as 1.5 degrees as possible. And this is to phase out the use of coal by 2040 and phase out by two-thirds the use of oil and gas by 2060. It's important that each country uphold those promises that they made as signatory of the Paris Agreement in 2015. It's definitely critical for the future of our planet. What are our chances of a solution to this? If no agreement is reached, it is likely that climate negotiations run past their official deadlines and they will need to discuss until reaching a consensus. So the issue is that the decision-making model of the COP is designed in a way that whatever decision is taking, it can only be as strong as what the least ambitious nation are prepared to accept. So basically, what is important is that it is a forum where every country has an equal voice and every choice matters, so this is great. Mm, mm. Uh, But also at the same time, the system allows a single nation to veto for the rest of the world. So let's keep hoping for for the phasing out of fossil fuel to be achieved as well. Dalila Gabori, thank you so much for your time and for bringing us up to speed there on COP28. Thank you very much. The internet is a weird and wonderful place. You already know that, didn't need to tell you. Uh, It has the power to make us famous literally overnight if your Instagram or TikTok posts happen to take off at the right time. And that is exactly what's happened to our next guest. Byron Nielsen is a builder by trade, but occasionally posts videos to his TikTok. Uh, He's called Māori Athlete on the old talk. And it's one of these videos featuring his adorable children 
that has gone nuts and currently sits at more than 12 million views. So to talk about his overnight fame, I'm pleased to say we have the one and only Byron with us now. Kia ora. Kia ora. How are you? I'm so good. Uh, how are you? Did you expect this to take off like it has? No, no, not at all. <laughs> I do have to correct you. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't, I don't like to brag. But it's not 12 million, it's 128, 29 million now. Oh my gosh, I must have been, my maths must be that bad. No, 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 it's, it's, it's 12 million likes. But yeah. Oh, no, no, it's good. It's... 12, well, I, I apologise oh, no, for no, getting no, those, no, 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 you should correct <laughs> me here. First of all. Okay, so way more than what I said. It's not the first time this has happened to you though, is it? Because a little TikToky stalk showed me a video from COVID lockdowns, which is also pushing pushing the views and the likes. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was. Um, I didn't have a mask at the time and I was looking for a mask and everyone had to wear a mask to go in the supermarket and I just had a box, a box on me. <laughs> Walked in the supermarket with my box, and then, yeah, I didn't expect to have that much attention. So the one that I love the most, featuring your adorable children, is you using a vacuum cleaner mm. to tie your little one's hair up in, in, like, a little fountain on top of her head. Is that how you do her hair every day? No, no, that's not how I do it. <laughs> I was in a rush. I was in a rush to go to um my... um. My sister's birthday, it was like, oh, I need to sort the kids out. Oh, come on, come on. So, ah, there we go. Ta-da. Did you just make it up? Were you just like, this will do? Oh, uh, yeah, this will do. This will do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you explain to me a little bit more about how the vacuum cleaner ties your daughter's hair up? So, I put the tie on the vacuum cleaner. So, the hair tie on the base. On the base, yeah. Put on the base and then turn it on and it sucks all the hair and then you turn it off. <laughs> And then you drop the hair tie down. Yeah, just before it goes completely off and then drop it in. Da-da. Then bada bing, bada bomb, you've got tied hair. What's it like going to work, doing your normal life when you're you, you're a TikTok superstar? Oh, it's, it's it's cool. I mean, I got a lot of support from my coworkers. Um, they're quite um they're funny about it. They're cool. Everybody's cool, but it does change like a lot of people change the way they see you now. Like, oh, okay, but it, it's cool. Like, it, it's fun. The kids love it. Well, if you have not already, make sure you go and check out Byron's amazing videos, Māori Athlete on TikTok. And thank you so much, Mr. Famous TikTok Man, for taking some time out of your day to chat to us. No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for that. (laughs) That's cool. Well, Merry Christmas to everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and, of course, everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yesterday... You, Jess, brought us the story of the missing space-grown tomato that led to an astronaut being accused of eating it 
only for it to then be found clearing said astronaut's name once and for all. I did, I did. It's probably the best redemption story of 2023. It's the only one we'll need from here onwards, <laughs> apart from this one, because today I bring you the story of the missing $1.3 million diamond ring. Oh, goodness me. And the hotel cleaners and hotel staff who had their names cleared after allegations were thrown around left, right and centre and it has now finally shown up. So this happened over the weekend, actually. A guest at the Ritz in Paris couldn't find her million-dollar hollow ring at some point during her stay. She filed a police report claiming it had vanished from her room. But the ring was found a few days later. Do you want to guess where? Was it in her bag? Was it one of those places where it's in her bag or it's still in her hand or she left it in the safe or something silly like that? No, it was inside a vacuum cleaner bag. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, who hasn't vacuumed up something? Probably not as valuable as that, but it's happened to all of us. (laughs) You will be pleased to hear that this guest has now been gifted three nights accommodation at the Ritz in Paris to make up for any inconvenience. All I'm going to say is that what was this $1.3 million ring doing on the floor in any position where it can get vacuumed up? Silly. <laughs> to be in the safe at all I time. will take much better care of this ring. You should have it. I should have it. Anyway, guys, that is Usable for today. I'm Jessica McCarthy. And I'm Imogen Wells. And if there are any $1.3 million rings going spare, you know, I'll, I'll take it. Send us an email, usable at stuff.co.nz. <laughs> Newsable. News that's worth talking about. If you liked it and reckon it's also worth supporting, please make a contribution at stuff.co.nz support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.